Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change, a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now wherever you get your podcasts. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. In the Deep, Stories That Shape Us, a new podcast from iHeartRadio, shares the firsthand account of Black and Latinx men as they peel back the layers of hardship in a world that doesn't always see them, all of them, for who they really are. Join host Zach Stafford as he explores the topics of discrimination, family, and religion, giving us a better understanding of the difficulties these men face, allowing us to see their entire truths, no matter how complicated they might be. These conversations with thought leaders, athletes, and authors prove that regardless of circumstance, there's always hope and health on the other side. Hey, my name is Kevis, and I was really scared to get tested for HIV, but I knew I had to do it. So I found out my status. And you know what? I also learned from a doctor that HIV is not a death sentence. There are medications available to treat HIV and options to prevent it. So my advice, if you haven't done so, get tested. Know your status. I'm glad I do. And press play on what's next. Learn more at HIVTestNow.com. Learning to love ourselves and our messy and complicated truth is hard enough. But what happens when you have that feeling of otherness just hanging over your head, where you don't feel understood even within your own tribe? How do you confidently grow into your own skin or maybe even grow out of it when the road to acceptance and healing is so rough and bumpy? Welcome back to In the Deep, Stories That Shape Us. I'm your host, Zach Stafford. If you've been following us since day one, you're familiar with the stories of hardship our guests have shared, the struggles of identity, discrimination, or health, and how these people have managed to move forward despite their circumstances. And if you're new, well, check those stories out. You won't regret it. We're going to continue listening to these stories from Black and Latinx people, hoping to gain clarity and get closer, even if just a little, to a road of healing and understanding. I think by now, all of us have had some understanding that many Black people living in America, especially Black men, have that other type of talk with our family. The one that teaches you to keep your hands on the wheel or respond with yes sir, no sir answers when interacting with police. And regardless of how much you prep in advance, no matter how many different scenarios you recreate in your head, can a person really be fully prepared for those human reactions, those feelings of anxiety or that fight or flight feeling that can take over in times of danger? As a Black man myself, I've had my own experiences with the police throughout my life. 
I've had the cops who follow you around town, hoping you miss one stop sign, do one thing they can deem suspicious. And as a journalist, I've dedicated most of my life to exploring how these cops misuse their power towards people that look like me all around this country, much of which has been inspired by my own personal experiences. But through all of these years and countless stories, I have yet to ever sit down and have the conversation you're about to hear today. A conversation with a man who was pulled over, was shot by the police five times, and became paralyzed at the age of 19, and today is working to not defund the police, but rather change them from within. Leon Ford's powerful story brings up so many questions for me personally and challenges me even more. Because even more than his body of work, Leon's journey begs the question, can you truly heal and continue to help others all while facing your inner pains and stigmas that have plagued you and your community for a long time? And even more powerful, can you take this healing and turn the people that have wronged you, those that have hurt you, into a sort of ally for change? So I am from the east side of Pittsburgh in a neighborhood called Garfield. It's like a small town, you know, where (laughs) we're all one degree of separation away. And so I was fortunate enough to build relationships with, you know, all of my different relatives all throughout Pittsburgh. I was the kid that always wanted to be outside. They used to call me professor because I was also <laughs> I was also the kid that could have a full conversation with any adult. Wow. I remember just being at the table while my grandmother and aunts and uncles were were playing spades. The games used to be rowdy, but there was like a lot of love. Whereas like, you know, toward the corner my cousins would be shooting dice and my grandma would say, stay away from the dice game because, you know, you just never know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> somebody's going to fight or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. I played football uh, growing up. I didn't love it as much as my son loves it. Mm. I have a nine-year-old son and he loves football. I mean, any chance that I, like, could skip football practice, I was definitely doing that. What were you doing when you skipped football practice? Just hanging out with friends, riding uh, dirt bikes and Mm -hmm. just hanging out. Would you say this time of your life, you're pretty happy with everyone and everything going on? Absolutely. Uh, Happy. I was spoiled. So when I was five or six years old, my dad, uh, he was indicted by the FBI for conspiracy to sell drugs And he actually served maybe 14 years in federal prison. Wow. Yeah. So that was my first huge shift in my life. Yeah. Where um, my dad was a very active father, you know, supported the Little League football teams and things. And then, you know, he was snatched away. Something that really stands out in Leon's story is just this idea of manhood, of fatherhood. Because on the one hand, he has his father, his own personal superhero. But on the other, he has the world's opinion of his character. It's almost like living in between two worlds. One where his father is very present, a great man, friend, a great leader even. And another where he's getting hurt, 
stabbed, shot, or even arrested. I can relate to that feeling because my dad was also hurt like Leon's. He was even indicted at one point too. And those feelings of anxiety, that feeling of, am I next, are incredibly difficult to shake. So I felt like I lived in two worlds. In one world, I always was like a uh, star student. And the teachers treated me really well because they knew that my parents were engaged. And then once my dad was indicted, they kind of looked at me like differently. Yeah. Like I was a problem child. You know, like I had done something wrong. And uh, my relationships with school changed because of that. I instantly felt my blackness, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I felt my privilege kind of be stripped away because I do feel like I was privileged. My father was very well respected. And there was like this deep reverence for him as as a person because he's just a stand up guy. You know, uh, he's a person who keeps his word. He took care of so many people from, you know, saving homes from foreclosure to paying taxes, to supporting youth sports. Mm-hmm. And just, you know, being someone that people in the community felt they could lean on. Yeah. But that has a, a huge heart. So in one world, I'm revered, even though my dad went to prison and... People were, like, treating me well and trying to look out for me since my dad was gone. Mm. On the other side, you know, these predominantly white teachers were treating me like I was a criminal. So that was very confusing. And I was struggling with why, you know, five and six years old, I didn't have the language to say maybe because I'm black and they think my dad's a criminal and so they think I'm going to become a criminal or... Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know the reason, but I certainly felt it. I felt the shift. I still have the first letter that my dad wrote me when he went to prison. He basically said that I'm not to blame for him going to prison. My mom wasn't to blame. It was his fault, His the, the, the choices that he made. He broke down the importance of rules, how rules and laws are similar, how all laws and rules aren't right, but until we change them, (laughs) we have to follow them, (laughs) right, in a way. And he said, you know, wrote about how uh, he wanted me to, you know, listen to my mom, follow her rules, and he wanted me to become the best part of him, not the worst part. And, you know, in reading this letter and being so close to my father, I thought about the possibilities of me being incarcerated one day. And that certainly frightened me. So even now, I go to therapy and I'm a huge mental health advocate. There's certain things that I experienced from my father that made me who I am but I won't necessarily do it to my son Mm. or say those things to my son, Mm. right? So I appreciate them and I appreciate my father for him doing his best just because I've been exposed to a different way of engaging with trauma and healing doesn't negate the lessons that he learned throughout his life. 
And so I'm like moving forward, but I'm also acknowledging the past and, you know, I'm acknowledging the lessons from my father and my grandfather, mm-hmm. even those lessons that society today may say are very harsh, Yeah, which is complicated. <laughs> you know, what you're saying takes me back to something my dad said to me. He said, I want you to be better than me. And what that requires of you is to be different than me and to deal with things different than me. So I'm going to still be me and treat you how I know how to treat you, but do not be me. Be different because you will be better. So here is Leon, existing, living his life, listening to his father's advice. Be different. But then on a regular Sunday morning, he gets a call from one of his cousins to hang out. Something tells him to stay, but he decides to go anyway. Leon and his cousins are really into fitness. They work out all of the time. They're so close, they box together and even have a pact not to do drugs. But on this day, his cousin is hanging out with a girl and Leon gets a whiff of weed. His cousin has broken the pact. They all decide to go to their grandma's house, but Leon goes alone in his car. I got in my car and drove off. I drove to the corner, there's a stop sign, made a left. And so I was driving the correct way down the one-way street, and then I saw a police cruiser coming toward me the wrong way with no lights on, just illegally driving down the street. And so when we passed each other, I, I had to like move over a little bit, and I locked eyes with those police officers and instantly knew that they were going to pull me over. I get asked this question often, like, how did you know? It's just an instinct. (laughs) It's just hard to explain to people who have never had that experience what that is like. And so I get to the next stop sign, made a left, drove about a block, made a right over a bridge, As I'm driving over the bridge, guess who I see behind me? Police cruiser. (laughs) And they are speeding through investigations. We know that they were driving about 90 miles an hour trying to catch up to me. They call it fishing. That's the term that they use. Uh, So they were definitely fishing. And so this police cruiser speeding behind me. I knew they were going to pull me over. And so, you know, I began to prepare. I mean, I didn't have my seatbelt on, so I put my seatbelt on, you know, those types of things, right? Once they put their lights on, I immediately pulled over. I used to keep my driver's license and registration in a little Ziploc bag. So I got that for them. And the officer immediately, like, just came to the window and just snatched my license and he's you know where are you going I'm telling him I was going to my grandmother's house and I uh, asked him did I do anything wrong and he said I ran a stop sign he went back to the cruiser to run my name everything came back clear the car was registered to me but then he decided to type in L for it so if you can imagine on their system type in L for every name from Linda, Larry, mm-hmm. 
any name that starts with an L is going to pop up. Yeah. And so he just basically decided to pick Lamont Ford. I get frustrated a lot with this because the media, they would say, oh, they thought he was a gang member or they thought he was a criminal and he wasn't this criminal. He, was, he wasn't this gang. He wasn't this bad person who they thought he was. And the reality is that Lamont Ford didn't even have a active warrant that night I was shot. Yeah. And so, like for the record, he didn't have an active warrant. So even if it was, even if I was Lamont Ford, Lamont Ford wouldn't have deserved what happened to me. The idea of justice in Leon's story is so complicated. Because even if you think, well, damn, he shouldn't have driven off and stayed and complied. This idea of being punished for having a human reaction, feeling scared, feeling worried, feeling defenseless, isn't usually a means for such a drastic punishment. I've seen this time and time again in my own career, especially when I covered police in these incidents. At times, cops play the parts of both juror and prosecutor, tipping the scales to their favor in hopes of gaining a couple more informants for their needs. Going back to Leon for a second, think about it. He's 19. The police are confusing him for another person, Lamont Ford. He's scared. And no matter how much he pleads, they are not taking no for an answer. It's his word against authorities. At that point, I was terrified. You know, 19 years old, I gave my driver's license, registration, and car insurance. These officers now were telling me, well, how about you get out of your car, come to our car, and look at this photo of Lamont Ford? I never heard anything like that before. So I told them, I don't need to know what Lamont Ford looks like. They're saying, well, get your black ass out of the car before we pull you out. It was that moment where I kind of thought, well, I'm not getting out out of this car because I felt safe inside of the car. And uh, one of the officers reached in through the window and unlocked the door, opened the door. Two officers both grabbed me and tried to yank me out the car. So when I put the car in drive, the officer on the passenger side immediately jumped inside of the vehicle and within a half a second began firing shots uh, point-blank range. And um, I was shot once in my neck, twice in my chest, once in my arm and once in my hip. One of the bullets that went through my chest is the bullet that paralyzed me. Wow. You said that you felt safer in your car you know, and I'm sure you grew up knowing that police were this aggressive in your neighborhoods. What do you think was in you that day that said, I better hit the gas to the pedal? Because, you know, that's something when I talk to white people, especially, and they look at these reports, they'll say, well, you shouldn't have driven off. You should have stayed. You should have just listened. But it sounds like everything in your body was saying, get out as fast as you can. And the fact here is that you were right. You were in danger. You did get shot. But why do you think your body said, try to get out in that moment. I did not feel safe around these police officers. And they weren't taking no for an answer. And I felt like they were going to harm me. 
and so, you know, I thought my best bet was to drive off. My parents told me, you know, don't drive with your hood on, don't have friends in the back seat, don't blast music, right? So my parents gave me information. However, I didn't have the language to say, hey, I don't feel safe. I would like for a supervisor to come to the scene. Now, I don't know if that would have changed anything. However, I feel like it's a duty of mine to equip young people and people in community in general with the language to protect them, to potentially prevent them from experiencing what I experienced. And even with those words of caution in his head from his parents, Leon woke up in the ICU. He wakes up to a police officer in the room without his family, confused. I remember there was a suction tube that I would use to get all of the saliva out of my mouth because of the tubes. And um, I was hooked up to all these, you know, IVs and things, and I accidentally dropped the suction. My mouth, you know, was full of saliva, and I'm, like, trying to spit it out. But I began to choke. And as I was choking, you know, I was banging the bed to get the police officer's attention. And he turned the TV up. Wow. As I was choking and the machines are going off and, the, you know, nurses ran into the room and they, you know, they got the saliva out of my mouth. They were so upset with this police officer. Mm-hmm. But they too felt powerless. But it was just like, man, I, I had so much fear and anger that began to crystallize into hatred. I was shackled to the bed, even though they knew I was paralyzed. I was arraigned from my hospital bed. Wow. Because I was charged. And I couldn't see my family for almost two weeks. Wow. And I didn't even know why. They actually had to hire an attorney to figure out a way to see me. Mm. I was devastated. When my family came to visit me, I was uh I was so happy, man. And I would just remember their sadness, their worry. And just like my dad, when he was shot, you know, I was in the hospital bed saying, I'm okay. I'm good. Yeah. Even though on the inside I wasn't. The mental, emotional, and even physical pain was unbearable. You know, I remember hitting the button repeatedly to take morphine to get them to come just knock me out. I just wanted to sleep. And so when I would wake up, I would be up for a while and it felt like a dream. And then I would soon be knocked out again by the morphine. 
I think most people would have grown resentful or maybe just given up on life after something so traumatizing. But Leon's journey never ended with this tragic day. And though he was left with conflicting emotions at times, he quickly realized that if he wanted to heal, truly heal, he'd have to open himself up to things he never even imagined and with people he never thought would be willing to lend a hand. And this is something we will cover in part two, because Leon's journey is as complex and beautiful as it is powerful and proves how healing yourself can sometimes come by lifting others up along the way. Hi, my name is Ramon, and I was really scared to get tested for HIV, but I knew I had to do it. So I found out my status. And you know what? I also learned from a doctor that HIV is not a death sentence. There are medications available to treat HIV and options to prevent it. So my advice, if you haven't done so, get tested. Know your status and press play on what's next. Learn more at HIVtestnow.com. Hey, I'm Alok, the host of Build the Change a brand new podcast from MacBlue about the people at the center of progress. Join us on a journey across the country as we uncover stories about the everyday folks working together to build something bigger than themselves. Real change. You'll hear from students in Appalachia advocating for LGBTQ-friendly books in their communities, healthcare workers providing telehealth abortions across the country, immigrant farm workers fighting for their safety in the blazing sun, and candidates in states with razor-thin margins. Listen to Build the Change now, wherever you get your podcasts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.